Hi, I'm Harry, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As an A-level student, diving into the depths of history, it's become increasingly fascinating to unravel the events that have sculpted our world. In this series, we're delving into historical milestones, from the harsh realities of Stalinism in the Soviet Union to the intricacies of the Salvadoran Civil War, and much more. But today, our focus is on the Elgin Marbles and their contemporary relevance. In this episode, we'll explore what these marbles are, the circumstances behind their move from Greece to England, get to know the figure behind it all, Lord Elgin, and ponder over what we should make of them today. Stay tuned to hear all about it. astonished by the 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 row that uh, happened between the British Prime Minister and the Greek Prime Minister. 200 years after being taken from Greece, the Elgin marbles, also called the Parthenon sculptures for those who don't agree with British ownership, still make many Greeks feel injustice. So my point is, to continue my argument on this one, is they were stolen. They were stolen and the British government acted like handlers in stolen goods. On the 27th of November, Rishi Sunak decided not to meet with Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis because of this issue with the sculptures. Mr Speaker, never mind the British Museum, it's the Prime Minister who's obviously lost his marbles. Lots of people think the British saying they own the Parthenon sculptures is just another example of them taking things from other countries. As if, if, if I told you that you would cut the Mona Lisa in half, and you would have half of it at the Louvre and half of it at the British Museum, do you think your viewers would appreciate the, the, the beauty of the painting? Greek PM Mitsotakis compares the situation of the Parthenon sculptures to the famous painting, the Mona Lisa. He says splitting up the Parthenon sculptures would be like breaking the Mona Lisa in half and putting each piece in a different place. But the British government says giving the sculptures back to Greece could put them in danger, and they're better off in the British Museum. They also say that sending them back would mean the UK loses an important cultural attraction. Alright, let's dive into the epic saga of the Parthenon, on the Acropolis in Athens, from where Lord Elgin sourced the marbles, and where the ancient Greeks turned construction into an art form. Flashback to the year 447 BC. Athens is buzzing with excitement as Pericles, the mastermind, and an Athenian statesman, decides to give the goddess Athena a home fit for a deity. Enter the Parthenon, a colossal structure, completed in 432 BC, finished with a 12-metre statue of Athena made from a staggering 1,140 kilograms of pure gold. An incredible 22,000 tonnes of pentelic marble, all the way from Mount Pentelicus, was used to build the Parthenon. The Parthenon wasn't just a showpiece, 
it was a storytelling masterpiece. As he strolled around the structure, freezers on all sides depicted the Greeks and Persians locked in epic battles. It's like the ancient world's version of an action-packed graphic novel, but carved into stone. Pericles, guy with the grand vision, boldly declared basically that people in the future are going to be talking a lot about this. Fast forward to today, and he was right. We're still marvelling at the Parthenon, the colossal structure that stood the test of time, with its golden goddess and stories etched in marble. However, the Parthenon has faced multiple changes throughout the years. In the 6th century, it was not the Greeks who occupied the Acropolis, but the Byzantine Empire, the leftover pieces of the fallen Roman Empire. The Parthenon was converted into a Christian church, while the Byzantines occupied Greece, and the Parthenon was dedicated to the Virgin Mary, mirroring the shift at the time from polytheism to Christianity. The change was metaphorical, with the Parthenon having once been a symbol of pagan power, now a symbol for Christian piety and the victory over paganism. The original marble structures were either taken away or covered and replaced with Christian structures, while the pagan altars and shrines were replaced with Christian ones. Then, during the 13th century, the Parthenon, already significantly altered, underwent more changes during the Frankish occupation of Athens. The Franks, a Germanic tribe, who originated in the Lower Rhine area in Western Europe, established a political and military presence in Greece during the Fourth Crusade. A principality was formed and Athens was the capital. Further changes were made to the Parthenon that reflected the prevalence of Gothic design at the time. The Notre Dame and the Canterbury Cathedral following a fire in 1174 were built in this period with Gothic design. The Franks sought to redecorate the Parthenon as the Notre Dame of Athens and dedicate it again to the Virgin Mary. Gothic-style windows were installed in the east and west facades, while the original portico columns were replaced with pillars that had ornate floral patterns, typical of the Gothic style. 1456 heralded the arrival of the formidable Ottoman Empire, and they immediately got to work converting the Parthenon, which was at this point a Christian church, into a mosque. The building was renamed to Hagia Sophia, and was used as a place of worship for the followers of Islam, with the most striking addition being a minaret proudly standing in the southwest corner, its silhouette against the Athenian sky signalling a shift in religious cadence. The mosque's interiors underwent a transformative metamorphosis, tailored to the rhythms of Islamic worship. The original altars and Christian iconography were removed, making way for the resonance of Islamic devotion, while the mosaics that had been added during the Frankish occupation were painted over. This transformation was the greatest yet. The minaret also altered the building's balance and symmetry, the mosque continued to be used as a place of worship up until the Greeks gained independence from the Ottoman Empire in the late 19th century. But the Parthenon's next alteration was to be the most significant of all its changes.
On the 26th of September, 1687, despite the efforts of the Ottomans to protect the Parthenon, Venetian cannibals struck a powder magazine stored within the building, causing an explosion. The blast caused significant harm to the temple's framework, permanently changing its look and reducing the preservation of its detailed artwork. The delicate, intricate sculptures, once a testament to human craftsmanship, now bore the scars of irreparable damage, and the columns that had once adorned the portico were toppled. The mark of the bombardment has remained since, and will forever mark the magnificent structure. Even the statue of Athena, that had withstood the ravages of years of warfare and occupation, was also damaged in the blast. The Venetian bombardment was a part of the broader Maurian War, which saw Venice and the Ottoman Empire struggling for dominion over the Greek islands and territories. After enduring significant damage, the Parthenon experienced an extended period of neglect and decay, lying in a state of disrepair for many centuries, with minimal attempts made to restore or preserve its historical splendour. Several sculptures were relocated, taken away, and in some cases, sold or illicitly transported out of the country. However, recent decades have seen initiatives to restore and protect Parthenon. In 1975, comprehensive restoration effort was initiated with the goal of repairing the destruction inflicted by the Venetian bombardment. Cutting-edge technologies such as laser scanning and 3D modelling were employed in the project to precisely reconstruct the temple's initial design look. Interest in the Parthenon structures grew considerably in the late 18th century, and here enters Lord Elgin into the story. Thomas Bruce, the seventh Earl of Elgin, was famous for being a diplomat and art collector. He entered the army in 1785 and rose to the rank of Major General. In 1790, he began his diplomatic career and in the initial stages of the English conflict against revolutionary France, he served as an envoy in Brussels in 1792 and later in Berlin in 1795. After this, he assumed the role of Envoy Extraordinary, a rank below Ambassador, in Constantinople in 1799, and held the position until 1803. In 1799, during Napoleon's campaign in Egypt, he was directed to Greece with the aim of strengthening ties with the Ottoman Sultan Selim III. His task involved surveying and producing replicas of Greece's significant monuments, prompting him to assemble a team of British artists under the leadership of the painter Giovanni Battista Lucieri. However, accessing the Parthenon became challenging, as Ottoman troops required substantial daily payments for entry. Facing financial constraints, Elgin personally appealed to the Sultan for a firman, a special authorization to initiate his project. 
On the 6th of July, 1801, the Sultan granted a firman, stating, when they wish to take away some pieces of stone with old inscriptions and figures, no opposition be made. Elgin understood this as permission not only to create replicas of the monument, but also to dismantle and export any noteworthy pieces. The ongoing debate about the restitution of the Parthenon has, in part, focused on Elgin's interpretation of the firman. In a significant 1967 study by British historian William St. Clair, it was suggested that the ambiguous language likely referred to items uncovered during excavations rather than the Parthenon facade itself. Elgin's team proceeded to remove approximately half of the surviving frieze, the broad horizontal band of sculpted decoration in the Parthenon, including a female sculpture from the portico of Erectile. In 1803, the collected artefacts were packed into about 200 boxes and transported to England via the port of Piraeus in Athens. Elgin envisaged that the marbles would be publicly displayed, intending to reconstruct a portion of the Parthenon for this purpose. The Venetian sculptor Antonio Canova was suggested for the commission, but he declined, asserting that it would be a violation for any man to touch them with a chisel. During this period, public opinion in London was divided regarding the appropriateness of removing the marbles from Greece. A prominent critic was the romantic poet Lord Byron, whose narrative poem, Child Harrod's Pilgrimage, condemned British imperialism and referred to the removal of the marbles as the last poor plunder. Byron, in his annotations to the poem, made derogatory references to Elgin, using terms like spoiler, robber, and violator. However, the poet's protests did not sway everyone, as massive crowds gathered in 1807 to view the marbles when Elgin exhibited them in a residence near Piccadilly in London. The public's keen interest led the British government to contemplate Elgin's proposal to sell the marbles to the National Collection. Despite his noble titles, Elgin faced significant financial difficulties after personally covering the expenses of shipping the sculptures to England, which included bribes for safe passage, amounting to a total cost of £74,000, equivalent to just under £800,000 today. In 1816, Parliament established a commission to evaluate Elgin's offer pricing the marbles at £35,000. The sale received approval by a margin of two votes. In 1832, the marbles were transferred to the Elgin Room in the British Museum, coinciding with Greece gaining independence from the Ottoman Empire. Subsequent Greek administrations have made formal requests for the return of the artworks. During the 1980s, the government formally appealed to the British Museum to repatriate the marbles, emphasising that the authorisation for their removal, if there really was any, came from an occupying empire rather than the Greek government. The debate of the restitution has remained prevalent for a while now. 
In a 2021 interview with a Greek newspaper, Boris Johnson dismissed any potential return of the marbles, asserting that their acquisition by Elgin was lawful. The British Museum asserts itself as the most suitable custodian for the marbles. However, critics from around the world disagree, arguing that the museum maintains its Greek collections under questionable conditions. In 2018, pictures of water seeping into the Greek galleries of the British Museum were widely shared in Greek media. In response, a representative from the museum stated that none of the sculptures have sustained damage and the problem has been resolved. In the subsequent year, Greek culture minister Lina Mendoni expressed in a statement that the neglect depicted in the images from the British Museum strengthens Greece's justified request for the sculpture's permanent repatriation to Athens and their reunion with the Parthenon. Discussions regarding safety resurfaced in 2021, when intense rainfall led to water infiltration in the British Museum Greek galleries. Once more, a spokeswoman from the British Museum affirmed that there was some water ingress in one of the Greek galleries, but assured that the artifacts remained secure. Moreover, in 2021, UNESCO urged the British Museum to re-evaluate its stance on the Parthenon marbles and resume talks with Greece. It was the first unanimous vote by UNESCO in this matter since Greece's initial request in 1984. But the UK government has responded by stating that the Parthenon sculptures were acquired legally in accordance with the law at the time. But it is also certainly true that the British Museum has given the artwork a platform to be recognised by the modern public. Some argue that the artwork's installation at the British Museum is one of Britain's most significant contributions to our understanding of ancient Greek history. Housed in the British Museum, the marbles serve a far larger audience in London than they would if they were sent back to Africa. Ultimately, the case of the Elgin marbles is a tricky one, but it comes down to the simple fact that the Parthenon deserves to be restored. It is a work of art and has existed for almost 2,500 years, as well as enduring through alterations and bombardments. How the UK and Greece navigate this heating debate will certainly be one to look out for. Thank you so much for listening to episode one of my podcast. I hope that what I've learned in my research and findings has an impact on you. There is more to come in the next few weeks, so please stay tuned and have a wonderful new year.